The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back. Today I'm coming to you from gorgeous. Whitefish, Montana, just about as far north as you can go. Canada's just down the road a little bit. It's a little smoky here from all the forest fires, but you can still see the mountains, and I wish you were here. Uh, before we bring my guest in, I just want to share with you that today I sent out an email to everybody on my list and put on Facebook that on August 29th, one month from today, I'm going to be doing an online session where I channel my guide, Sanaya, the same ones that bring you the Daily Way messages and i do this several times a year i never take money for channeling but i do take a registration for this event and a hundred percent of any registrations that people give are going to care camps for kids this is uh, camps for kids with cancer free of charge for them thanks to donations and i am just thrilled that the registration is coming in in the first two hours we've already made thousands of dollars for care camps it's just exciting and we all get to enjoy sanaya's messages on august 29th so if you want to join me live for that please go to my website Right there at the top of the homepage is a banner with a link that will take you straight to information about the event, about care camps, and how you can register. So, with that little announcement over, let's move on to my guest today. I I can see him on Skype. You won't see him, but it's kind of fun for me to, to be in the seat here talking to him because he has twice interviewed me and now it's my turn rick archer is our guest and he is the host of buddha at the gas pump and i know that many of you have seen my interview with rick two of them in fact and he has interviewed over 600 people who have experienced some kind of spiritual awakening. We'll let him tell you the rest of the story. But, Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's so funny to see that familiar backdrop. Every time I, I glanced at the video, there it is behind you, that bookcase with the, the icons and things that I've seen so many times. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, of course, we're going to start by explaining to everybody well, I want to hear how the show came about, of course, but why Buddha at the gas pump? You've probably said this so many times. Yeah, that's okay. Um, well, I'm 71 now, and I've been keen on spirituality since I was about 17. I learned to meditate when I was 18, and I've been doing it ever since. 
Um, and I taught it for many years and, you know, have just been really focused on this topic, uh, which I feel is the most profound and fundamental topic one could focus on. Um, so I've gone through various phases in life, you know, earning a living and this and that. But <clears throat> about 12 years ago, I, I, I well, I'll tell you a little bit more detail. I, for, for years before I started this show, I attended a weekly meeting here in town with a bunch of people who were, we just talked about spiritual topics. And a lot of people were having, in the group, were having spiritual awakenings quite profoundly. And I had a tendency to interview people and I would, you know, I'd start probing them about their experience. And the host of the meetings kept yelling at me and saying, stop interviewing people. <laughs> You're supposed <laughs> to just talk about your own experience. And so one day I was out in the garage working out on a Bowflex machine and listening to Adya Shanti. And I thought to myself, you know, I should start an interview show where I can actually interview people. Um, and so, you know, I fished around for a title and I asked the members of that group for ideas. And one young fellow came up with about a dozen different possibilities. And one of them was Buddha at the gas pump. And everybody seemed to like that thing. And I liked it. And so that's what we ended up calling it. And it, initially, I was thinking of it as a radio show on my local station here. But it, it you know, that wasn't happening. And it grew over time and just took off. And so explain that title. Oh, why the title? Yeah. yeah. Well, the implication, you know, I, I learned later that it might, he might have been inspired to come up with that idea from that book, The Celestine Prophecy, I think it's called, where there was some enlightened dude and he was at a gas station and he could like levitate up onto the roof of the gas station and stuff. I, I, and that didn't occur to me for years, but the implication of the title and why I liked it is that in this day and age, people are having spiritual awakenings in ordinary life, ordinary people. They don't have to be glowing in the dark. They don't have to be like the Buddha or Christ or anybody, just regular people. And it's everyone's birthright. Everyone has the potentiality for enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. And so that's the implication. That's why we called it that. It's perfect. And it's certainly true that so many people, you don't know what's going on with them. And as a medium, I often hesitate to use the M word. And then you start talking about it and people just open up. Yeah. Yeah. So you started, you see, 71 and you started meditating at 18. So 50 right. years of meditation. When you started, that was not as commonplace as it is now. What drew you to that? Well, um, I had been doing drugs for a year and, and in a muddled way, I kind of got the idea that higher states of consciousness or enlightenment or some such thing was what we're supposed to look for in life. Um, and uh, the Beatles had been into meditation and I had heard about it because of them. And after about a year of doing drugs and dropping out of high school and making a mess of my life, I just sort of leveled with myself late at night one evening and, and thought to myself, well, you know, if I continue on like this, I'm going to lead a miserable life. So I'm going to stop taking drugs, learn to meditate and mm. see what happens. And so that's what I did. And I liked it so much. And I had such profound experiences and benefits right from the start that I just thought to myself, I'm just going to stick with this and, and always do it regularly. And I did. I've actually never missed one in 53 years. Ooh, Twice I love a day. That. I love twice a day. You, mm -hmm. So you, I know you've taught transcendental meditation and I'm not sure how much everybody knows about TM, but is that the practice that you continue to do? Pretty much. I'm no longer part of the TM movement and I actually use a mantra that I got from Ama, the so-called hugging saint. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of her? I, uh, I use it TM 
TM style. Like it's an effort. I use it. It's you do it effortlessly. You're not concentrating or straining or and it's a very natural way of doing it. Um, but it never fails to work. And by work, I mean the mind settles down into a more sort of blissful, quiet, l less excited state. And you just dwell there for a while, and after a while you come out, but but um, you come out somewhat infused with what you had just experienced. And and the repeated alternation alt between that deep state and activity it integrates it into your life so that it becomes um, more abiding in the midst of activity. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I also have, I think I might, I, now you now my human side is coming in because I'm like well and I, I started 12 years ago and I might have missed five days doggone it you uh, your record is is you know you haven't missed any days no right. yeah and I missed a few days but that's okay it's not about that one that's one of the things you gain from it uh, you know I'm just obsessive <laughs> compulsive I guess you know OCD can be your friend <laughs> so and that's a that's a challenge that many people have then they feel that they they go into meditation to get something out of it that obsessive feeling like I need the bells and the whistles what is your intention when you go into meditation Ah, well, it's so routine for me. I don't know if I form a specific intention each time I do it, but mm -hmm. I just know from experience that it, it will be restful and enjoyable and rejuvenating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's just part of my day. Like you'd say, what is your intention when you go to sleep at night? Well, you don't really have one, but you know that sleep is good for you and you feel good after a full night's sleep. So you do it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to get on to talk about Buddha, the gas pump, and awakening and, and much deeper things. But this is so fundamental. I, I do want to spend some time with it. You, you mm -hmm. spoke about having some profound experiences in the beginning. Would you elaborate on what those were like? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, I'll tell, tell the story as briefly as I can. But I, when, you, when you learn TM, you're supposed to bring fruit, flowers, and a clean white handkerchief and a, and a donation. In those days, it was $35. And so I was staying out with some friends in New Jersey, and somebody drove me to the George Washington Bridge, and I walked across, took a subway downtown, walked across Central Park over to the TM Center, and said, here I am. And I didn't have any of those things, the flowers, huh. the fruit, the money. And so they sent me home. So I went wow. all that thing in reverse back to New Jersey. And then at about 11 o'clock at night, I said, I got I called my father and I said, I need 35 bucks. It's going to be the best $35 <laughs> you've ever spent on me. I haven't done drugs in two weeks. He said, all right. So somebody drove me to the New York State Thruway and I hitchhiked home, got home at four in the morning. Um, wow. In the morning, he drove me to the train station. I zipped into New York, came, came in to learn and... You know, after all that hubbub and exhaustion, I sat down to meditate and I felt like I, right from the start, kind of settled into the self, you know, in the capital S sense, mm -hmm. a, a deep state of um, fundamental, unbounded awareness. And I just came out feeling so relieved. And I remember afterwards, there was a big thunderstorm and I walked down Fifth Avenue in the rain, just feeling like a ton had been lifted off my shoulders. Um, and very quickly, my life began to change. I got a high school equivalency diploma, got into a community college, got a job, joined a band playing the drums, and you know did one thing after another in a more constructive, progressive uh, direction than I had been going prior to that. And um, you know, so that's been the story of yeah, the past 53 years. How did your father react to that? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I remember one time he had 
been hit really hard by World War II, PH, mm. PTSD and alcoholism and all. And um, I remember one time he was lying on the couch crying and he said, I don't know what you're doing, but I think I need to do it too. And he ended up going into um, New York and, and learning himself. We lived out in Connecticut. And um, my mother had been in and out of mental hospitals, tried to commit suicide three times. And um, she, there's lots of details to these stories. I'm giving you a nutshell version, but she eventually ended up learning and spending nine months in Switzerland with me around Maharishi. And it had a profound effect on her. And, um, you know, it was like, I feel very, even though I'm no longer in the TM movement and all, I just feel really grateful from everything I've derived from the whole experience. And I don't, I'm not like a, I'm not beating the drum for TM specifically. There are all mm -hmm. kinds of techniques and practices and spiritual paths that people can take and do take and derive great benefit from. Um, but I'm just telling you my story. It's, and it's, perfect because what you describe there this this deep state of fundamental unbounded awareness that to me is the best result that can come from any meditative process or just by grace walking down the street sometimes we can touch that it happens yeah yeah i just recently started playing the gongs and, and within 30 seconds you can drop into that state so mm. and, yeah so wow so when you started interviewing people, how did you find them? Well, I started with people here in town because it's a town where several thousand people have been meditating for decades. And so there have been people who've had some pretty good results. Um, so I started with some of them. But after a while, I wanted to branch out and I be began to become aware of people out of town that I could talk to. And <clears throat> so I kind of figured out how to use Skype to record video and how to set up a YouTube channel and a website and all that kind of stuff and just began interviewing more and more people out of town and there have been all kinds of technical hurdles over the years but it's gotten better and better and then you know after a while it wasn't a matter of me finding them it was a matter of sifting through all the people who were finding us and asking to be interviewed um so that's that's a short answer to your question yes i remember being so honored when uh i was invited to be on the show and i realized that it was a leap for you to bring a medium on. And today I was browsing your website again. And it's funny because you still have a little disclaimer down there about occasionally we'll have people like mediums and <laughs> on Do here. I say that? Yeah, yeah. You actually oh, say brother. that. <laughs> He's looking at his website now. Like, what did I say? Yeah, where is yeah. that? <laughs> well, but it's I like, have... you know, go ahead. No, no, you. Um, I just have a rather broad definition of spirituality. I, I don't think God is a one-trick pony, you know, and I think that spiritual, there are many, what is it Jesus said, in my Father's house there are many mansions. I think that there are so many different facets and flavors and so on of, uh, and dimensions of, of the spiritual world. And yeah, there is an ultimate core to it, this, this pure awareness we were talking about, but, you know, there are so many paths up the mountain. And so, I just, uh, you know, I was thinking about religions the other day and what I would say if somebody asked me what religion I am. And I think I would say, you know, I think there are probably trillions of religions throughout the universe and a great many of them think that theirs is the only one or the best one or something. But mm -hmm. I feel that, that they all, they're all valid for those who are attracted to them and not only religion, religions, but other kinds of spiritual approaches. 
And so that's sort of the attitude I have toward spirituality, and it's reflected in in the website. Um, you know, no one yeah. size fits all. Oh, I, I wasn't at all insulted by it. I've, I've found it amusing because you are many, many, many of the people you interview are part of the non-duality uh, stream of philosophy. We'll, I'd like to talk about that in the second half of the show, but let's yeah. get a little bit more fundamental here. Uh, and incidentally, I think I'm, I'm going to interview Julie Beichel next week. You must know Julie. Oh, yes. Yes, she's, she's been on the show. She researches, yeah, researches mediums and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So spiritually awakening people, that's that's who you interview. Why don't we go to the very basic question of how do you define awakening? <laughs> uh, um, I kind of define it the way I was just defining spirituality. I We used to have a byline of conversations with ordinary spiritually awakened people, but I felt <clears throat> we felt that awakened was too kind of static and superlative a word. It's kind of mm-hmm. like enlightenment, you know, like it's yeah. some kind of endpoint. And right. um, I, I think everyone is in the process of awakening, even the people whom we regard as enlightened. I, I think that, I mean, St. Teresa of Avila once said, it appears that God himself is on the journey. Uh, <laughs> I just think everyone is evolving. And um, so, but awakening, uh, I think that maybe one way of going at it is the realization of one's essential nature, which we've alluded to several times. We Most people start out thinking that they are just this body and that if this body dies, that's the end of their existence and so on. Um, but we have, we're like Russian dolls, you know, we have these uh-huh. deeper levels to our structure, to our personality. And uh, the, the littlest, the deepest doll, the, the innermost doll, <laughs> so to say, using that metaphor, mm-hmm. is that pure unbounded awareness, which is, you know, oceanic, which is, un, which is unlimited, eternal, everlasting. And that's what we are. And the, the ancients all say, you know, thou art that, and, you know, that alone is, and so on. So a very sort of a deep level of awakening would be the, the full and, and abiding realization of oneself as that. Uh, but there are many degrees of realization on the way to that. And, and I also like to include something that Ken Wilber says and speaks of in terms of lines of development. I mean, it's not only the realization of one's essential nature, but then there are all these different aspects of the personality, uh, one's behavior, one's intellect, one's emotions, one's sensory perceptions, and so on. And all of those are... Uh, capable of being refined more and more and more and more uh, as we develop. And sometimes people's development can get kind of lopsided where they're, you know, they maybe have some deep realization, but they're kind of a schmuck in terms of their behavior Mm. or, uh, or in terms of, or they might be intellectually brilliant or eloquent or something. And yet, you know, not have, um, sort of deep ethical values or even deep realization for that matter. They might be an alcoholic. Uh, There are several famous teachers who drank themselves to death and yet they they come beautifully on all this higher wisdom. So I kind of see awakening or enlightenment, if we want to use that term, as a holistic development ultimately, um, which is probably quite rare in terms of fully, or again, I don't even think there is a full because I think there's no end to it, but in terms of a very profound, equally balanced development of all the different channels or facets 
of our makeup. Um, but it, to come back to where I started with this, the core or foundation of that would be self-realization. Meaning I know I am an aspect of that greater self with a capital S. Yeah. I, I know that I am that greater self with a capital S, not an aspect of it. The, the individuality is an aspect of it, but yes. the universality is what we actually ultimately are. Thank you for that clarification. Yes, yes, yes. I love. I could talk about this for hours, and I have to tell you, when you first, when you right, first cancel the next show, we'll keep going. <laughs> okay, good. I checked, and that first interview with me was um, five years ago, and I love that. Again, you went out on a limb to bring me in as a medium, and then had me back for a second show, which was so affirming. Oh, well, we like uh, you. Yeah, well, <laughs> ditto, vice versa. Uh, I have to tell you that you asked some very deep questions, and I had to refer to my guides several times to get some answers, and so many of your questions was the first time I'd heard this type of questions, and I realize now, having really dived into non-duality, which again, we'll talk about more in the second half, I, I have come so far in those five years as a result of listening to many of the guests that you have and diving into their teachings. And of course, my guide's teachings, it just dovetails because it's ultimately Great. all pointing to that same place. But how about you? How, how have you evolved? You've already, you've been meditating for 50 years. Has, has yeah. this show caused a shift in your awakening? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a really profound thing for me. Uh, I was just thinking about that yesterday because I, I did an interview on Saturday. And I, I just felt like marinated in bliss afterwards. And I, when I sat down to meditate, it was like, ah, oh, this is so wonderful. And and um, but somehow it just um, gets gets me firing on all cylinders, so to speak, when I interview a person. And um, it really kind of enlivens, I guess, some subtler channels or something through, through which are responsible for the you know, the interface between our individuality and pure consciousness. So it's really enriching. And and not only doing the interviews themselves, but I usually spend, you know, maybe 12 hours during the week preparing for the interviews, listening to talks or books or whatever by the person I'm going to interview. So just the process of continually having my attention, <coughs> excuse me, my attention on this stuff um, is... You know, they say that that to which you give your attention grows stronger in your life. Yeah. It's it's just really um, nourishing and enriching and a, a real blessing to be able to do it. Certainly. Now, I want to, before we go to the break, talk about your partner there, your wife, Irene, mm -hmm. in the background. We haven't heard from her because I'm laughing because in my interview a couple times, both interviews, you could hear Irene speak up in the background like, ask this. Or say that. <laughs> so, so I haven't heard any of the, the little chiming in in the background there. But is she is she's just like a co-partner in all this? Is she on the same path with you? Yeah, we first met in Switzerland. Um, actually, we first met in Santa Barbara, but somehow we didn't really connect or know, know each other that well at that point. That was in '71, and then in '75 we met in Switzerland, and. It's funny, I, I overheard somebody saying, oh, this girl's going to come tomorrow to join international staff in the TM movement, and, and she's really bright and a great organizer and stuff, and somehow my antenna perked up. Um, I was intending to 
be a monk all my life. But you know, when she when she arrived, I was there at the front of the hotel and carried her bags in, and um, <laughs> you know, we we kind of got into this little foursome of friends with a couple other people and hung out together. And Irene is great organizer. Yeah. I don't know what you said, huh? I, uh, Sally Peden said that. Anyway, there she is on the side kibitzing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's like um, she, you know, I I kind of we kind of got into this thing where I was saying, well. I really love you, and if I ever get married, I'd like to marry you. But I want to be a monk, and that went on for 12 years. <laughs> oh um, and then, and then, and then finally, we went ahead, and I, I left that lifestyle and got married. And it was a bit of an adjustment, but it's been a great blessing, and um, all is well and wisely put. I feel like I've grown a lot more having married Irene than I would have um, had I not. And, you know, she's been really great at helping me work out all kinds of idiosyncrasies and <laughs> neuroses. <laughs> and how about her meditative practice? Do you meditate together or separately? Um, she hasn't been meditating in recent years, uh, but she's a very spiritual person. And um, she, your, your voice broke up a little bit there, but hopefully huh. you can. We're good. And, uh, and so she does uh, all the guest selection for Batgap, and she, she has very good judgment. And... Mm. Um, a good BS detector, I could say, and, ah. uh, and there's certainly a, a fair amount of that to detect out there in in the world. I, I like <laughs> and, that. We could call it intuition, or we could call it a BS detector. <laughs> Both yeah, work. It's kind right? of the same thing, really. Huh. So let's see. We have just one minute till the break. Six hundred guests, and what's your intention for the show? Keep going. Yeah. As long as I am able, I mean, there's some uh, people like Jane Goodall and and um, who is that wonderful Supreme Court justice um, who just died? You know, people who've um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah, Ruth. I was trying to think of her. Who've gone on into their 90s or eight, late 80s doing things that are meaningful and helpful to the world, and so. If I can continue to serve in this way um, and don't get too senile or boring or something, I'd be happy to continue doing it. <laughs> and you do it completely based on donations, which I love, which is yeah. beautiful. Yeah, no arm so, twisting. You know, if people feel like helping to support it, great. And if uh, otherwise, they can just watch them. Yeah, and they're not just on YouTube, but also on normal podcasts. Yeah, there's a, there's a page on the website um, of batgap.com where you can see all the different ways of subscribing to it as a podcast. Very good. Okay, so everybody, we're talking to Rick Archer. I want to talk more about awakening, talk about what's this non-duality I've been mentioning several times, and really dive in more of the metaphysics. So come back in three minutes, and we'll continue. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Well, I hope you all are enjoying this conversation with Rick Archer, host of Buddha at the Gas Pump. He's been hosting it since 2009. I just looked at his site today, over 600 spiritually awakening people he's interviewed. And I know that Spiritually awakening would def- would refer to many of you listening. Rick, so many of the people listening have are are drawn to this show because somebody very close to them has passed, and they want hope that there's an afterlife. And I'm telling you from personal experience, that is a major catalyst for people to get on the spiritual path. So, what other catalysts would you report from talking to so many people that? start them on this so-called path to awakening? Mm, Yes, it's a lot of different things for different people. Sometimes it's trauma. You know, it could be a, I have a friend whose brother overdosed on heroin or something like that, and he had never even been a heroin user, but he tried it once and died. And the shock of that kind of kicked her into a, a higher state of consciousness, actually. Um, I mean, it was very difficult also, but I, I, I interviewed somebody who was just tying her shoes one morning and um, all of a sudden had this big, aha, wake up thing. And just didn't even know what it was and you know, had to sort of backtrack and figure out what the heck had happened to her. Um, I interviewed a guy named Takoen Minamoto who was crossing a parking lot in Boston and a car almost hit him. It kind of came screeching to a halt before hitting him. And the shock of that triggered an awakening um, and uh, got him set on his path. But I think that, um, you know, there was some Zen monk or somebody, some Zen teacher said, um, enlightenment may be an accident, but spiritual practice makes you accident prone. And I think (laughs) that, um, you know, if one can find and do a, a systematic, regular practice of some kind, if one finds it effective, that it makes it more and more likely that um, spiritual progress will be made and that some you know, profound awakening will occur. It, it refines the nervous system, makes the nervous system a more fit um, receptacle for awakened awareness, um, and it just sort of reorients your whole life in that direction. Yeah, it doesn't just have to be meditation. Certainly, even... I believe it's been proven scientifically that listening to other people's stories, so certainly watching videos, listening to videos such as Boot at the Gas Pump, is a catalyst in itself. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm gonna, We're going to interview a, a woman in a few months who um, was experiencing all these spontaneous awakenings and didn't know quite what was happening. It was Googling all over the place trying to figure out what was happening to her. And a little bit desperate, it sounded like. And then as she was waking up from sleep one morning, 
a voice came to her that said, Buddha at the gas pump. And she <laughs> said, WTF, Buddha at the gas pump. And uh, but then she Googled that and found that gap and started listening. And it, it really helped her sort of mm. come to terms with what was going on and kind of stabilize the, what was happening to her. Well, she definitely had was listening to what was bubbling up from awareness there. So yeah, you've mentioned a couple times now people who just suddenly have a sudden wake up call or a spontaneous experience. For those who haven't had it, who are listening now, what would that be like? The, well, there are all kinds of different experiences we could have, and uh, as Ramana Maharshi always said, he was a great sage in India. You know, that which comes and goes is not the ultimate reality. So you could have a flashy experience, but that's not it. Um, what he and and sages like that were pointing to is well is described in a verse in the Bhagavad Gita: "The unreal has no being, ceases to be." So there is an ultimate reality, which by its very definition can't come and go. And since it's ultimate, it's ultimately what we are. And we we can come to a realization of that, an experiential one, not just an intellectual one. And if we wake up to that experientially, then that becomes the kind of the foundation of of life for us. Um, Did I answer your question? I'm not sure. I might have veered off from it. A little bit of veering, but it's still good. (laughs) But but if somebody is saying, I don't get it, a spontaneous experience of what? You started Uh, talking about experiencing suddenly the the deeper something beyond the flashback. You've had some spontaneous experiences. I mean, you had that stuff going on with the butterflies, and then you've had all sorts of, you know, aha moments and experiences and this and that. Um, I interviewed a woman named Jack O'Keefe who was sitting in a pub in Ireland uh, with her friends and all of a sudden she saw ghosts all over the place and she mm-hmm. ran outside the pub and leaned against the wall and was like, oh, tried to catch her breath, what's happening to me? So yeah. now that I wouldn't consider that to be an awakening to the ultimate right. reality, but it was right. a shift to some subtler dimension or you know astral yeah. realm or whatever. Um, so there are all kinds of things one can tap into um, that... Uh, you know, are different than our ordinary everyday experience. I mean, obviously, when people take psychedelics, they experience that kind of thing. Um, awakenings, Irene's handing me notes. <laughs> uh, you're, but, getting, you're getting prompted from off stage there. <laughs> so there's a great variety of, of awakenings that one can have to this, that, and the other thing that are beyond the ordinary. Um, and, you know, one shouldn't be I mean, those are interesting. One shouldn't res- be afraid of them necessarily or resist them or reject them. But I think the, good, the advice would be keep going because that's not the end of it. And right. uh, it, if there is an end of it, it would be something along the lines of the thing we've been alluding to, this ultimate non-dual reality that is really all that is, uh, although it appears to uh, most people as diverse. Okay, so let's go there now, non-dual reality, non-duality. You have you speak often now at the Science and Non-Duality Conference. I actually attended that before I understood non-duality. I found it just so hard to understand, some of them actually boring, and now I eat it up. <laughs> I no, totally good. get it because my guides have shown me over the years how, what this is all about. So... Um, Non-duality, 
would you just explain that to people who are not familiar with the term? And, and for those who may know what it is, I'm sure it'll be meaningful, whatever you share. Sure. Well, both in, in terms of modern physics and in terms of ancient spiritual traditions, the universe is understood to be superficially diverse, but fundamentally united or one. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, physics can boil things down to deeper and deeper and deeper levels, more and more unified levels. You get down eventually to four fundamental forces. They've unified some of those down to maybe two or three. And, and they're seeking, you know, a, a grand unification of those to find what they would call a unified field that is the basis of everything. Now, if there is ultimately a unified basis to creation, then the understanding is that the, sup the, the diverse values of creation are also made of that. They just appear diverse. So, for instance, metaphors are used such as... Um, gold jewelry. You could go into a jewelry shop and there's earrings and bracelets and, and uh, you know, what do you call things you hang around your neck, all the different yeah. types of jewelry. <laughs> Those would be <laughs> <And> called necklaces. <laughs> necklaces, that's it. Uh, but there, and you, one person might see diversity, but maybe the jeweler just sees gold. It's all gold. Or mm -hmm. pots, you know, this pot, that pot, different shapes, different colors. They're all clay. So, you know, we see trees and birds and people and all the diversity of life. If we analyze them deeply enough, we would find that they're all essentially the same thing. They're all that pure consciousness, pure awareness, absolute, unbo unbounded, fundamental reality appearing diverse. And there are people whose experience actually uh, reflects that or it, it, they live that in other words they see the diversity of life but it's secondary and primarily or fundamentally they see unity everywhere they are that unity it's not like they separately are standing yeah. apart and seeing a, seeing unity that alone is it's one one lives in oneness one is one that totality within which everything else has its being yeah. Now, see, if some people listening might ask the big question that I always try to ask, and that is, so what, as you're talking about this? Okay, so there's this deeper fundamental reality. What does that mean for me when I'm trying to pay my bills or when I'm suffering because my child died, that kind of thing? Would you address that? Yeah. Well, for one thing, on a practical level, life tends to go better uh, when the, the more one lives this and understands this. Um, sure. You know, it's like we, we just tend to get more what we might call support of nature. And, and there's a reason for that. And that is that all the impulses of intelligence that are, are responsible for the manifestation and orchestration of creation ultimately reside in that unified field. And if we know ourselves to be that unified field, then we are in tune with all those impulses of intelligence. We mm -hmm. really are, we, we're sort of the master of them and therefore they do our bidding. Um, so our intentions, our, our, our individual intentions are cosmic intentions. There's, you know, I and my father are one. And so we become more of a kind of a, an instrument for the will of God, you could say. 
and um, the intelligence that governs the universe governs our own individual life. We're no longer at odds with it or in conflict with it. And therefore, our individual life receives more support. And our, our intentions are worth fulfilling because we are intending what God intends, to use that word. Mm -hmm. And they tend to get fulfilled because they are in service of the divine will. And we have the, the we have the sort of power of the divine um, at our back, so to speak. Well, we all do, but many aren't aware of it. Would you agree with that? Well, that yeah, but that's the trick is to become aware of it. That's the whole name of the game. That's what we're talking about, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so you say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let me shift here because as, as you were talking, what what I wrote down here is point of view. You spoke about some people who are aware of the unity at all times, and I've heard some of the interviews you've done with people who spent weeks at a time after a major awakening, one period of awakening, who really couldn't function right. in this reality in a body because they were just feeling the oneness yeah so it's a matter so you of have to stabilize and integrate and i mean you know if you could somehow you know from early on in the game suddenly jump to where you might be 50 years later uh with dedicated practice you wouldn't be able to handle it um it would just be you would it, it takes incremental integration and stabilization and adjustment and so mm -hmm. on at every, every stage of the game. And uh, therefore, you know, most spiritual teachers worth their, worth their merit or whatever the phrase is, don't advocate trying to storm the gates of heaven, so to speak, you know, trying to go and meditate 18 hours a day until you get enlightened or some such thing, because you could go crazy doing that. Um, it's usually, you know, a, a more measured, um, careful approach is, is advocated safety first. Yeah. Some people, yeah, those rapid awakenings can knock people off their feet, but that that's again, getting back to why you call it awakening versus awakened. I've certainly found and talked to a lot of people who would agree that it's a, it, it is an ongoing process. If we just awaken and that was it, why continue? Why continue on? Okay, I'm here. That's it. But it's for me yeah. fun, to, fun to wake up in the morning and say, well, I wonder what miraculous, joyous thing is going to happen next. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. And even if one somehow reached a, a very profound, stable level of fulfillment, I think they could still say what you just said. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, what has God got in store for me today? You know, it's, yeah. it's like wonders never cease. And and also, I think what many people report is that the feeling grows stronger and stronger that that one is an instrument of the divine, you know, that um, one's life is not just about one's own gratification or little problems and this and that, but that one feels that one is sort of serving a greater purpose. And um, there's uh, a deep sort of meaningfulness to that. And it's such a great feeling. And we can all we can all be of service in some way. How about uh, things that might slow down people's spiritual evolution? Would you speak to that? Yeah. Um, there's a there's a, a teacher that I'm rather fond of named Swami Sarva Priyananda. I, I take classes from him. And one of his, one thing he says from time to time is, 
you can have ethics without enlightenment, but you can't have enlightenment without ethics. And um, mm. what I've found, there's an organization which I helped found called oh, yeah. the Association yep. for Spiritual Integrity. And um, are you a member of it? Did you join it? I don't know. Uh, I, I know about it. I'm not sure what it, I'm, at the time if I joined it, I would probably know if I joined it, right? Okay, no problem. <laughs> uh, but in any case, um, it was we founded it, myself and a few others, um, just because of the observation that there were so many screw-ups in the spiritual community with, you know, people falling under the influence of teachers who were really teaching rather prematurely. They didn't really have the sort of ethical foundation for taking on students and so on and were mm -hmm. uh, abusing them financially or sexually or, you know, in other ways. And um, that is, I'd say, a, a detriment to the growth of those teachers themselves. But it could also be extremely disillusioning for a student who, you know, wakes up to the possibilities of spiritual development and comes at it with all kinds of idealism and enthusiasm and then gets, you know, messed over by by an unethical teacher. So there's that. That's one part of the answer to your question. Um, I also think that uh, the body is the temple of the soul, as I think Jesus said, and that um, one can either culture um, purity and refinement in the nervous system, and there, which is conducive to spiritual growth, or one could do the opposite, you know, and, and take, you know, drinking or drugs or various other things which would weaken or or render the nervous system less pure, uh, which would hamper their spiritual growth. Um, so, you know, what we do to the nervous system, behaviors we engage in, um, various things, many of which are common sense, uh, can have a big influence on our uh, spiritual progress. Absolutely. So people talk all the time about consciousness is rising quickly now, more so in the past. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I think it is. I think that the world is at a critical juncture uh, with climate change and various other things. There are any number of things which could do us in. Uh, you know, loose nukes or climate change or, you know, pandemics, which would be much worse than the one we're in, or any number of things. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of this is, is obviously the manifestation of small-mindedness or greed or short-sightedness um, being uh, rather en endemic in, in human consciousness. And I think that the time has come where there has to be a shift in consciousness in order for the the world to really be saved, you know, or humanity at least. The world will be will get along without us, but for for us to continue, I think there really has to be an awakening. And I think, you know, you don't see it on the six o'clock news, but uh, I think you do see it in the kinds of circles you and I. Um, frequent and th there is there is some sort of epidemic of uh, or upwelling of consciousness taking place in the world and I I kind of that gives me hope it, it makes me optimistic it makes me feel like somehow or other the tides will turn and we won't you know burn our our planet to a crisp or pollute it beyond habitability um, that 
we there, there there could be a lot more roughness yet to undergo before we see a brighter day, but that we could come out of this and really enter into a, some kind of heaven on earth, some kind of enlightened society. I don't think it's a guarantee. There are other scenarios that could that could uh, come to pass, but you know I think what you and I are both doing and many others we're we're kind of pushing for that more optimistic, that more, you know, wholesome mm -hmm. eventuality. Yeah. Thanks. So I know Irene does her background when she finds your, you know, chooses intuitively with her BS meter mm -hmm. <laughs> who your uh, interview is <laughs> going to be with. But I certainly don't want you to name any names. But in tell me about any surprises you might have had where somebody didn't turn out to be what you thought or 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 sometime you might have had to say we can't even air that one. Has that ever happened? Yeah, I I interviewed a woman maybe six months ago. Um, I won't get into any details, but no, no. towards the towards the end of the interview, she started saying stuff that sounded very much like QAnon, you know, QAnon talking points. And you know, afterwards we questioned her about it, and yeah, she kind of went ballistic and started saying stuff that confirmed our, the suspicion. And so we didn't air that one. Um, I don't know if there's any others that I've done that we didn't air, uh, but there have been a number that we've had to take down um, because of various scandals and problems and mm. things that arose years later. Okay. Yeah, but for the most part, very, very helpful. I love this sometimes when I go for a walk, usually Ty and I walk together and we, we chat so I don't listen to to anything with headphones. But when I do, I'll just go to back up and just randomly, just intuitively say, which one should I listen to? And they're just really fascinating, fascinating interviews. And long ones too, a good two hours. Yeah, they're usually two hours. Um, I don't, I mean, the time flies for me anyway. Um, <laughs> and yeah, people say they like show. the long format. Both guests mm -hmm. and listeners say they like the long format because it really you have a chance to really get into it, you know, and yeah. be thorough and be deep. Yeah, and you do, and it's and it's chatty, just like we're doing now. Yeah. Do you see any in in all the conversations you've done? How about commonalities in how people live their lives once they are awakening? Ah, uh, well, yeah. I mean, you can think of spiritual people you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of diversity and variety, obviously. Some people like this and some people like that, and there could be a lot of different tastes in the way we we eat and we entertain ourselves and relationships and, and everything else. But I would say that, you know, uh, so it's like I was saying before about diversity and unity. Uh, on the superficial level, there could be great diversity. In fact, you know, Think of the Amazon rainforest and how um, how prolific it is, how many species of animals and plants and, and all. And that's because it's a very fertile soil there for all those things to, to live in. Um, so I think that a world in which, let's say, everyone were on a spiritual path and you know developing higher states of consciousness would be like that. It would be extremely rich and diverse and colorful and, yeah, and yeah. it wouldn't be like everybody walking along like spiritual automatons exactly. or something that there'd be all kinds of different explosions of creativity and and uh, interests but fundamentally there would be a unity that um, i think those people would appreciate and see in themselves and in one another 
um, a harmony. You know, there's, um, I think the more that deeper value we've been alluding to grows, the more one feels harmonious with everyone and feels harmony in the midst of all the diversity of life. So I think, you know, that, that characterizes the lives of most spiritual people I know. And I think it could characterize society itself if, um, if higher consciousness became more prevalent. Yeah. And we are here to be fully human, and but there is this underlying just a, a love that grows within. Um, Ty laughs at me because very frequently sailor words pop out of my mouth appropriately. You know, if I get shocked <laughs> or stunned by something, and I'll say, oh, that wasn't very spiritual, was it? You know, but at, at the same time, we could just shift immediately to that place of peace and uh, where the the human side gets set set aside. Yeah. A friend of mine that I was just talking to earlier today, Craig Holiday, wrote a book called Fully Human, Fully Divine. Oh, nice. I have to look that one up. Is there a book in you or is this enough work for you? Oh, at the moment, it's enough work. Whenever I write something to to somebody on on the Internet or an email or something like that, I think, well, this might have some greater value. I, I save it in a folder. I have a folder with dozens and dozens and dozens of files like that. And maybe one of these days I'll get around to organizing it. But you know, a lot of times I listen to books um, in preparation for the interviews I'm going to do. And I think I could never write like this guy. And this is so clear the way he's saying this. And I think, oh, forget about it. I shouldn't write a book. I should just interview people. <laughs> that'll, that'll be my book. So we'll see what happens. There you go. So, can anyone awaken as we have less than a minute to go? I think so. I think um, it's everyone has the potential. Um, I mean, uh, theoretically, somebody could be on their deathbed and have an awakening, and that has mm-hmm. happened. I mean, look at some of the near-death experience people who weren't even interested in spirituality, and then they had an NDE and had this mm-hmm. profound awakening. Uh, I've interviewed people who were like serious meth addicts and stuff, but ended up shifting out of that and, and having an awakening. Um, I interviewed a guy about a month ago who had been a, a serious alcoholic to the point that he felt like his brains were sloshing around inside his head. And, you know, he had this profound shift. So I think everyone should feel confident that it could be for them. It's not just for some special people. All right. Gives us all hope. And your program certainly is a way to show people what is possible for anybody. So Rick Archer hosts a bat Gap, Buddha at the gas pump. So please check out his site. Thank you, Rick, for joining us. It's been a great conversation. Thanks, Suzanne. It was fun. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On the Dropping In Podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.